0: A warning to all listeners, this is a podcast about movies. There will be spoilers, obviously. If you don't want to know what happens in a movie whose title appears in the title of the podcast, you shouldn't listen, obviously.
1: Heed our advice. All righty, welcome to... For the love of Pavlov, our podcast about movies and how animals are represented.
0: Or misrepresented. Or,
1: yes, absolutely misrepresented. I'm Katie. I'm Norm. And I know animals, or at least do my best to know animals, and Norm sure does know his movies.
0: If nothing else, I like watching them.
1: Well, yes.
0: But I reckon uh, movies are such a entry point for people to kind of have their impressions established. And, you know, if it's something that you're not used to interacting with, you kind of passively accept a lot of things as true, especially when they have a real animal doing something in a movie. So we are looking at how much they get right and how Mm -hmm. much they straight up invent when they feature real animals in movies.
1: Yes. For now, we are focusing on movies that do not depict anthropomorphization, because that's an entirely different can of worms.
0: So no celebrity voiceovers, no 2D (laughs) animation, no 3D animation. Uh, Um, I I think that pretty much covers
1: it. (laughs) I mean, at least for now. I think it would be fun to look at later, but we've got got way more interesting things to look at.
0: So we're going to talk about real animals in movies, live action, ostensibly portraying real animals.
1: Yes. And we are looking at a lot of biology, behavior, news, what have you.
0: And within the context of the movie trying to tell a story. Yes. Because all movies are going to take some liberties with reality.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, We don't need to constantly watch people go to the bathroom to enjoy a movie. We know it's happening. Mm Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to try to be a counterpoint to the unreality of animals in movies and see if they're making compromises in the name of art and Mm. storytelling. Or if they're just (laughs) completely making things up and making animals look weird. Yeah. For the love of Pavlov.
1: So real quick, why do we name our podcast this? I was
0: going to ask you that. I think that was your idea. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, it was my idea. But you went along with it real quick Ivan Pavlov was a neurologist, psychologist, physiologist, studying animal behaviors and reflexes and kind of how that translates to what we know about ourselves and mm-hmm. a- animals. So he is the scientist who discovered classical conditioning, which is learning through association. It's automatic, so you think of the a dog is presented with food, it salivates You start adding a bell to the mix.
0: Ring a little bell whenever you present the food. Yeah,
1: and then when you ring the bell without food, salivation starts. Classical conditioning. Yes, he did influence other researchers like B. F. Skinner, Skinner, who discovered operant conditioning, which took it a step further of using rewards and punishment to modify behavior. And then you've got Watson, who's that has that very questionable, ethically unsound study regarding Little Albert that shows you can. Use conditioning to invoke horrific fear and a little nine-month-old boy.
0: So sort you, of artificial associations yeah. and emotional responses.
1: Yeah, he did this to another little boy, but showed that you can decondition that fear response. So little Albert was <laughs> f-ed, whereas at least he tried his best with rehabilitating little Peter. Little Peter. Womp.
0: All right. Okay. This is <laughs> potentially going to be our, uh, our first episode so of course we dove into the classics and katie let us in this episode because it was her turn to choose yes and she chose the original blockbuster jaws Jaws.
1: which i think it's funny that you said this is what we're diving into and we're doing jaws so oh, i'm i love that
0: that was completely unintentional. <laughs> i think you know how i feel about puns
1: <laughs> so what was fun about jaws is that it's a movie we've both seen so much it's much like,
0: everyone has seen. Uh, yeah, it's at so this point. so <laughs> ingrained in the popular imagination of
1: oh, so who amazing. Steven
0: Spielberg is. Like I said, the original blockbuster, a summer movie, a certain type of filmmaking. So much is iconic. The John Williams score, shots, performances, lines. Yeah. And I think it is kind of the baseline for the average person's understanding of sharks. And yes. shark behavior.
1: Yes, I would agree. I think it kind of opened the doors mm-hmm. to that, and also really opened the doors to people's fear of sharks. Yeah, and just they're man eaters and crazy. And it's it's kind of crazy because this movie came out in nineteen seventy five, mm-hmm. but its inspiration came from some incidents that happened in nineteen sixteen.
0: And were represented in a novel.
1: Yes, there was a novel of the same name by Peter Benchley.
0: Mm. And it's not a nonfiction piece. It's, it's a fictionalized account inspired by true happenings, kind of like Moby yes. Dick was inspired by. Yes, yeah. indeed. And in the same way that I think Psycho for a while supposedly had people afraid to take showers, at least in hotels, <laughs> Jaws, I believe, had people scared of the beach and scared yes. of the ocean, probably yes. still to this day.
1: Oh, Totally. Absolutely. Well, and one of the crazy things regarding that that I found Mm. is that even despite this movie and all these reports of shark attacks, when you post that a shark attack has happened on a beach, there's this period of time where people don't want to go swimming and then they Mm -hmm. just like forget all about it. Yeah. And even if there's a like signal raised at the beach, you know, we saw a shark, but nothing has happened. People see that flag and they're like, eh. What are the chances? And go what? into the water. What
0: are the chances though? Oh, That's not chances? an unreasonable attitude to take, is oh, it? Oh,
1: totally. The chances are really, really slim. So there's the classic statistic of you're more likely to be struck by lightning. Wahoo. Yeah, sounds like fun. In this is crazy to me. In twenty eighteen, there were hundred or I'm sorry, one point two four million people who died from car crashes mm-hmm. compared to 130 shark incidents. And in 2015 and 2016, there were more deaths related to taking selfies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. so this is this is yeah. the go-to example of things you should or shouldn't be afraid of. Yeah, and I think the common counterpoint would be, we are exposed to traffic, and we have normalized being in cars. so people spend more of their lives in and around traffic. Yeah, or taking selfies in stupid places, <laughs> relative to how much time people spend in the ocean, much or less rivers. in an area where sharks can actually be found, or
1: rivers. So
0: I don't know how you control for that it's all, exposure difference. Yeah,
1: there's a level of statistics there, and also just we're we're going to be afraid of sharks. They're this weird, like prehistoric thing that's yeah. huge in the ocean, and we don't understand it.
0: But it's it's like a terrorist attack. It's spectacular and it's dramatic. So I can't
1: believe you just made a reference to a terrorist attack. Well,
0: people make a big deal out of terrorist attacks. I know, attacks. but you
1: just really jumped into that.
0: What? Well, it, it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> you're, very un, you're probably more likely to be struck by lightning. But we have bent society around a fear of terrorism, which really is the terrorist winning. But we've built society <laughs> around that fear, even though it's not a very rational fear and it's not likely to affect most people. Right. It's, it's not an unreasonable parallel.
1: And with shark attacks, up to a third of run-ins don't really cause much injury. It's like you just kind of get boofed. Right. Or w- slapped with a tail.
0: I did want to ask you about that because the sort of default nomenclature is shark attack. hmm And would we really call it an attack? Like if you get bit by a dog, you wouldn't necessarily call it a dog attack, right? Right. If you're like kind of hassling a dog and it nips you, you'd be like, I got bit by a dog. Totally, But if you go swimming and you get bit by a shark, it seems like we're pretty quick to say this was a shark attack and not totally. a shark who had never seen a human before, took a little bite to try to figure out what it was and swam away and wasn't interested in the man flesh.
1: Yeah, so what's interesting about that is actually in 2021, there are some authorities in Queensland and New South Wales and mm-hmm. Australia who are really encouraging scientists and the public to actually call it shark bites rather than attacks, because there, there is this stigma about sharks being these horrific man eating monsters. Right. When, you know, the reality is most of the encounters are going to be pretty minimal, resulting in a bite. Rather right. than a slaughter. And one of the interesting examples that illustrates this this different connotation is with dogs, mm-hmm. dog attacks are this horrific aggressive thing. Right. Whereas dog bites kind of more capture the essence of a lot of our negative run-ins with dogs. Yeah.
0: And I don't know if this carries over in the analogy, but I feel like the average dog bite is a result of a human engaging the dog in a way it's not comfortable with. And the right. dog basically communicating, like you're ignoring my body language or you're playing too much, or even you're playing tug of war and he gets a little excited and catches your hand instead totally. of the rope. How similar is that to a shark attack?
1: You do get both unprovoked and provoked shark attacks.
0: How would one provoke a shark attack? A
1: diver trying to touch him cause it's cool.
0: Well, um, what about say a naked hippie swimming in near the coast off a New England resort town. Is Mm -hmm. that provocation?
1: I would say no, because she's swimming. She's not finding the shark and directly interacting with it. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more about direct versus indirect interaction. So as far as what they define it, in the shark world. So
0: to really anchor this to Jaws, though, you have that iconic opening scene, mm-hmm. which is very like Friday the 13th, right? You got a bunch yes. of a bunch of teens oh, it's so good. with their hormones and their little bonfire. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and they're they're drunk. This girl goes running naked into the ocean to swim. Mm-hmm. And then you have that great POV shot, uh-huh. I guess, from I always want to call him Jaws. But <laughs> that's is not Bruce. his name. Well, the the prosthetic. Actor, no, call shark. him Bruce. Okay, Bruce. Thank you. You have the POV for Bruce. And he swims up, it looks like vertically mm-hmm. from from beneath this, this yeah. girl. Is that anything?
1: Yeah, great whites tend to ambush. So they're going to really? swim from below or like from behind.
0: Now, obviously they live in the ocean. So I was kind of curious... A shark attack you would think would happen, you know, you hear about surfers being attacked by sharks. Are they that much predators of the surface as opposed to like a deep sea?
1: Right. There are incidents of these guys attacking in more shallow waters. There's that whole thing that is said about, you know, this is all happening. What is it? Ten feet from shore Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. three feet underwater.
0: Three feet?
1: Yeah, that's what's said in the movie. Which is absolutely bonkers well, to me. Well,
0: I mean, she was 100% not in three feet of water. She oh, was like totally. off the shelf where she was. Maybe I'm misremembering it. I thought most of the Bruce attacks in Jaws were happening in deep water. It's when it's when people are fairly far out or uh, right. when uh, Mr. Holland is in his little shark cage.
1: Totally. Yeah. It's So actually, it's something Hooper says. He states he states a lot of shark facts, mm-hmm. and some of which are
0: and which one's accurate Hooper?
1: and not. Hooper's the researcher.
0: So Richard Dreyfus. Yes. Mr. Holland.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So he says that, you know, most often shark attacks are occurring three feet underwater, mm-hmm. ten feet from the
0: beach. So he's just rattling that off to kind of show that he's a shark expert. Is that anything?
1: So sometimes you can get sharks attacking in as shallow as three feet. And the reason that you do get attacks closer to shore is that's where a lot of their prey is. And they can, you know, they detect the movement over there really nicely. But the three foot statistic is blown way out of proportion. Like, well, again, I think a great white is taller than three feet. Like, that's mm. kind of bonkers. I was going to
0: ask, do you get sharks? Beaching themselves? Like you get yeah. that with whales sometimes.
1: Yeah, you'll get sharks beaching themselves. There are videos online of people grabbing sharks by the tail to chuck them back in the ocean, and that would be a provoked attack. Sure. And and you people are saving them, so it's a good deed, but be careful. <laughs> is this
0: is this a shark being a bad predator and getting stuck? Or is this kind of like when a cat wanders away from home to find a place to die?
1: I'm not entirely sure of the behavior behind it. My imagination is chasing a school of fish and just kind of getting into a bad spot, but I'm not entirely sure. But there are a number of shark attacks that happen pretty near shore, depths, range, depending on the shark and what they're doing. And this Um, again,
0: seems like an exposure thing. Most people who are going to encounter sharks are going to be close to shore because they're at the beach. Totally. They're swimming, you know, within their range. Yep. So yeah, of course, most shark attacks would happen where people are going to meet them the most.
1: Yes. So, well, And one of the things that I looked up as far as like, what are you likely to be doing that's going to attract a shark attack?
0: Splashing around, I thought, is what the movie tells yeah.
1: us. So it does. The movie mentions that humans splashing mimics fish movement. And mm-hmm. I found out that that's decently true. In a study in 2022, found that most bites occurred with swimmers and waders.
0: Oh, wade, like wading into the yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So that's about 43% of bites that they looked into. 35% were surfers or people doing board sports.
0: What's the difference from a shark's point of view between a surfer and a swimmer? Mm-hmm. Like you're floating on the board, but you're still splashing. Exactly. Like from Bruce's point of view, that woman in the beginning could have been on a surfboard.
1: Yeah. And the other thing with that is if you get some sharks hunting from below and Mm -hmm. shooting up, surfers are more likely going to be in deeper water doing their thing. Right. As far as I know about surfing, I don't know anything about surfing. Well, they're riding the wave. So
0: they're (laughs) going to go out and then they're going to come back. Yeah. So they paddle out, hop up, I reckon they probably get attacked more when they're paddling and making a big splash. Right. Is a shark going to hunt someone on a big wave?
1: There are pictures out there of like, well, really? actually, they might be photoshopped. I have no idea. Well, but yeah, there true. are photos of like a surfer. And in the wave behind it, there's this like menacing shark. I don't know if it's photoshopped yeah. or not. It's still just spooky to look at. It smacks it's smacks of Photoshop. <laughs> All
0: right. Okay. So in the context of the movie, yeah. it always freaked me out that... When she first, like you see the Bruce POV, he swims right up to her. And then we cut to above the surface and there's that little tug. Mm-hmm. And she seems to immediately know what it is.
1: I don't know if she knows what it is other than like the f-
0: Well, she knows it's bad news. Well, yeah. Like she's she's, <laughs> for filmmaking purposes, they probably have someone under there literally tugging on her foot. <laughs> but what it's supposed to be representative of is... Is he pulling her under? Is he mm-hmm. taking a, a bite just to see if she's tasty?
1: Yeah. They they will drag their prey underwater. Hmm. Um, but the thing is that humans are not their preferred prey. Right. Great whites hunt, you know, fish. They're really well known for pinnipeds, seals, sea lions. But humans, you know, there's a lot of overwhelming instances of them just kind of taking a bite and dipping. Right. And, you know, fatality, as far as I know, tends to occur from bleeding out extensive injury. Right, right. That kind of thing. But How, how that likely doesn't... are
0: they to actually sever a limb with a bite? Like, they've got those saw-like teeth in rows yeah. and rows and rows. Are they going to bite clean through something?
1: I mean, they absolutely can. Really? Oh, yeah. They have... One of the strongest bite forces in the animal kingdom. Really? 4,100 PSI.
0: Uh, How does that compare to like a pit bull?
1: So compared to the largest land predator in the world, which is a polar bear. Oh. Polar bears have a bite force of 1,200 PSI.
0: 1,200 PSI. Yeah. And what was the great
1: white?
0: 4,100.
1: Criminy. Uh Uh-huh. So
0: they're, they're basically... A little over three times as strong yeah. in bite force as yep. the top dog, so to speak, above ground.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I also wanted to ask you to go back a little bit. You said they'll tug their prey underwater. Yeah. And that's part of their attack. Is that because they're actually mostly hunting things that primarily live above the surface? Because there's not much of an advantage to pulling a fish underwater. That's where it wants to be. Right.
1: Right. So, yeah, things at the surface they'll drag. I don't know much about other prey. A lot of times what are the like really crazy videos that they feature all the time on Shark Week is the giant great whites launching out of the water to right, grab right. pinnipeds, which is absolutely crazy. And when we think of drag, we have to kind of consider our use of that word because great whites don't swim backwards super well. mm. Yeah, there's a little bit that they can do for short bursts, but it's not a real big thing. So when we think drag, I don't know, with me, I think drag is in pulling something toward me, which is technically moving backward.
0: Oh, I was picturing Bruce grabbing her by the foot and pulling her down because mm-hmm. he can swim down from the surface. So like yeah. he goes up, gets a little chomp, and then is yeah. tugging her down. Yeah,
1: or then like swims forward and kind of tugs her down at exactly. that kind of angle. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're really strong. I mean, a lot of shark bites aren't fatal because they just take a munch and then dip. Okay. And so it just depends on how they bite, the f- like how strong it is, where it is on the body. So like absolutely, like you you get the stories of people having limbs severed frequently with shark attacks. What's I can't remember her name, but there's the really well known surfer. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: So there's there's an instance. You will get bites that are just like big piece of flesh, you mm-hmm. know, a calf or a thigh or something like that.
0: But. If they're if they're going after splashes, you're probably splashing with your limbs, so that's mm-hmm. that's what they're going to register as fish or food.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and even Hooper later on in the movie, he's our mm-hmm. um, scientist. They're. Measuring dicks via looking at scars oh, that God. they've accumulated. Yeah. Um and Quint's just the fing worst about that and everything else in this movie. Um, but Hooper reveals a bull shark bite on his calf. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I looked into because bull sharks are pretty well known for their aggression and just right. tenacity.
0: Especially even compared to a great white, uh-huh. which is iconic because it's large, not yes. necessarily because it's common. Or even
1: And and Jaws just, you know, promoted that.
0: Right, right. It really seeded it in our minds
1: so if you know hooper says that the shark just kind of scraped him while he was collecting samples of some Mm -hmm. sort and so with a minor run-in like that i think it's possible that that bite would have been pretty minor that he showed on his calf Mm -hmm. i think for it to be a larger wound or a more significant attack or injury it would have had to been a full force thing
0: right right an actual attack and yeah not because otherwise encounter. they have
1: giant mouths that would just take your calf clean off instead of doing this little you know scar wound thing
0: <laughs> okay so in the in the flow of the movie we have that initial attack and then uh we kind of just meet our cast of characters for a little while yes and we have our new york Cobe basically Cape Cod sheriff.
1: It is Cape Cod. Well, yeah,
0: it's not Cape Cod. it's well, amity. It's
1: amity. Island. but it's very mm-hmm.
0: clearly Cape Cod.
1: <laughs> well, so what's really crazy that I was not expecting to find is that there's a lot of great white attacks that happen at Cape Cod and the New England coast in general.
0: So this is a recurring point in the movie. Like yes. The mayor doesn't believe it was a shark attack. Yes. Because their waters are too cold, I think he was saying, for most mm, sharks to swim up.
1: Uh, Shark, great whites tend to prefer a bit more temperate waters. And the they're more drawn to the Atlantic than the Pacific as far as the U.S. Hmm. And so a lot of attacks occur during warmer months. And right. this movie's 4th of July. Yeah. Which, big, when does it get warmer?
0: Big holiday weekend, that's... You know, the the controversy in the movie is the mayor doesn't want to shut anything down or scare off the tourists because that's what they depend on. But they really make a meal out of how unusual it would be, even unprecedented maybe by their perspective. Yes. For a great white to be there, much less attacking people. Right. Is that made up?
1: Great whites can have this pseudo territory, but they also do a form of migration We don't really know why, but when you when they tag sharks, they can see like all the distances that they swim. And so they as far as I have read, they don't really stay in the same spot as much as you'd think. But I mean, this is happening over the course of the Fourth of July weekend. Right. And the story that it's based off of from 1916, there were five attacks between July 1st and 12th. Wow. Yeah. Whereas in Jaws, there's a body count of five. So
0: we're, we're up there. Yeah. But some of them are going looking for trouble because one guy is one of the locals who thought he was going to get the bounty by killing the Shard. Yeah. So that was a provoked attack, <laughs> I think we could say. Quint, Isn't that's a, a cool. provoked attack. Yeah. He had that coming. So yeah. two of the five... Mm -hmm. We also go from (laughs) your sort of typical slasher victim who's being promiscuous and using substances getting Mm -hmm. killed very Friday the 13th. Yeah. But then we have a little kid on his little inflatable raft. (laughs) He never stood a chance. He never
1: stood a chance. (laughs) Well, so since 2012 in Cape Cod, there have only been five Great White Bites with one fatality and... Yeah, it's it's kind of absurd that this many happened in this movie. Again, like not out of the well, realm of possibilities because of the incident in Jersey in uh yeah. nineteen sixteen, but it's you know, it's a horror movie. Of course it's, you know, gonna be a four day weekend and just Boom, boom, boom. Well,
0: because that's when the most people are there. I didn't yes. realize that it was that close to reality.
1: Yes. And so Cape Cod and, as we know, Cape Town, South Africa, right. really well known for the great white sharks there. They tend to have this, like, beautiful little trifecta that makes them statistically more likely to have shark attacks. And by, what, are the, um,
0: what are the three great features? Whites.
1: It's going to be the density of people. Right. The density of seals. That hmm. the great whites are going to be feasting okay, on. yeah. And great whites in general swimming close to shore, multiples of them. So we just look at statistics and see great whites are attracted to seals. People are attracted to water when where both animals live. And you just get the mistaken identity <laughs> that sh- sharks tend to have when humans are bit.
0: <laughs> so this, this brings up what I think is a very important question in terms of the narrative of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because they kind of go a ways to set up the mayor as like the antagonist. Yes. Because he's being unreasonable. He doesn't want to take (laughs) safety precautions. Yeah. But you opened this by talking about how quickly people are willing to forget actual shark attacks. Yes. And go back into the water. Yes. So our, our sheriff is saying, we need to shut this down. We need to keep people out of the water and we have to go hunt this thing down.
1: You mean Brody's saying that?
0: Brody's saying that, yeah. yeah, the sheriff, chief of police, whatever he is. But he's, he's taken a pretty aggressive stance here and treating it like a serial killer, which is very slasher movie. Yeah. Whereas the mayor is pretty dismissive and doesn't want to blow it out of proportion. Yeah. Who's, who's right or who's more right in this situation?
1: I mean, f- money in the tourism industry. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to be more on the side of Brody as far as it being a serious concern. And at least giving people the warning, maybe not shut down the beach. Like, why is there not this compromise of, like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe blocking off the area in which it happened and being like, you know, we're a f***ing island. How about we go to this beach instead of Shark Attack beach? We've
0: got options. Yeah. Totally.
1: And you have the thing of, I don't know how common it is in the ocean, but <laughs> growing up in Florida, oh, God. you had these freshwater environments where they'd make sure that there were no alligators nearby. And then they put up this little water net where it's like you can swim in here. There's a net. Mm-hmm. we've confirmed there's no alligators here.
0: Do we not have shark nets as well?
1: I think so. I just not sure.
0: I feel like I've heard of these being deployed like in Australia where you have both yeah. a, a decent amount of surfing yeah, and pretty much the entire population right. is right there on the coast.
1: Yeah. I've not personally seen that, but I also grew up in nowhere, Florida. So, so you said <laughs> you're
0: on the side of Brody when it comes to the seriousness of the situation. Yeah. Should we be putting a bounty out on a shark that's attacked two people?
1: No, that's the part I was going to mention. That's the part with Brody that I disagree with. Can you elaborate on that? Shark gonna shark. Why kill this animal that is doing its thing? Because it's
0: not a serial killer. Not really. Yeah. It's It's, doing its thing. It's
1: doing its thing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So narratively, thematically, I wanted to run this by you because it opens in such a classic slasher movie fashion. It's coming out in the middle of the 70s. Yeah. And Scream has kind of given us the deconstruction of the tropes of slasher movies, which follows, are, are you a woman? Are you going to be a virgin who can be the, the final girl? <laughs> or are you promiscuous and, you know, you get killed by Jason's mom or whatever? And that's how it opens. But then a little innocent kid gets killed mm-hmm. doing basically nothing and surrounded by people. Mm-hmm. And then a few people go looking for trouble and find it. So rather than this being a sort of commentary on these forces of nature bringing comeuppance to people who are more morally divergent or, (laughs) you know, behaving uh, outside of social norms. My impression was that what they're actually saying is this a force of nature is not to be trifled with Mm -hmm. and it doesn't care who you are. Yes. Which, again, I think kind of goes against Brody's attitude of he has got a taste for people. He's just going to keep doing this.
1: Which, you know, humans are not the preferred prey. So, but of course, he's the chief of police. He knows literally nothing.
0: It's also a little odd to me that you never see like parks and rec or animal control coming in.
1: It's also a tiny island.
0: Yeah, but they call in, they call into the mainland and they send someone from the Oceanographic Institute. Yeah. And that's when Hooper comes over. And it's like, are are you, what are you actually here for? Just to give us exposition (laughs) about sharks? I mean, where's animal control?
1: (laughs) I I don't know. I think I personally think bringing in a professional does help because then, you know, kind of what you're dealing with. But it's also the sense of it is a shark doing shark things. I think bringing in for identification is not only us looking at the biology of the animal, but I think it's also likely providing information for the bounty This is what it looks like. Goes forth.
0: So he's a consultant, basically. That's,
1: yeah, I would agree.
0: He's not there to solve the problem. He's there to give the context everybody else needs to solve the problem.
1: Yeah. But I do think it's really funny. In addition to the distance and depth of shark attacks, I did find some of his facts were wrong. And the big one, you and I mentioned, we heard the thing about, it's likely a large squalus. And we're yeah, like, what, what the is, f- is a squash? <laughs> So it's a genus of what are called dogfish sharks. Okay. Great whites are in a different genus, one car-caridon. Car-caridon. I
0: Carcaraodon. God,
1: taxonomy is hard too. Yeah,
0: yeah, pronounce in Latin, whatever.
1: Um, which is like, you know, he's predicting a genus. That's fine, he's but got- he does, he does. Mentioned two species that he suggests, and based on the dialogue that I reconfirmed Mm -hmm. on IMDb quotes or whatever, he says large squalus, possibly. So he has these two ideas of species that, based on how he says it, fall under the category of squalus, and the two he mentions... He does the scientific mm-hmm. names, and I looked that up. Are the oceanic white tip shark and long fin mako shark, mm-hmm. neither of which are actually squalus. <laughs> <laughs> so why the
0: f- are we trusting
1: this guy? Well,
0: did he drop some shark species names to flex, just to be like, I'm a shark expert. Look at look at these names. I know I'm I'm able to diagnose this with no real hands on you know experience. Mm-hmm. And he's wrong. He's making yeah. up completely inappropriate. Or he's
1: just a really bad scientist. Well, I don't know.
0: I also wanted to ask you about this. The first thing that Hooper asks to see, he wants to go to the morgue and see the remains of that girl. The Mm, first, mm -hmm. you know, corpse that was found that makes them think it's a shark attack. Yeah. Or that makes Brody think it's a shark attack. Yeah. No one else wants to accept that. Right. This guy's what, a marine biologist or a Mm sharkyologist or something? (laughs) Is he really going to go into the morgue and look at what lacerations and CSI his way through it and say, no, this was a shark. This was a squalus, whatever.
1: <laughs> so there's a recent study. In, well, it feels recent, but f- I'm old now. <laughs> in 2009, mm-hmm. that you know draws attention to how complicated it has been to determine the size and species of a shark based on bite right i mean you also think of bite evidence in forensics right
0: yeah how do we know it was actually hitler's remains
1: oh jesus so they did a study where with multiple species of sharks they measured the distance between each tooth as well as jaw circumference to kind of determine size if there's a difference between tooth placement, that could help narrow down a species mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So, overall, the jaw circumference can be a, a decent predictor of the length of the shark, like the overall size, but you also have to have a full bite for that.
0: And he's looking at, if I remember right, which, you know, they don't show too much, mm-hmm. but enough for me to glean that we're looking at. Limb remains. Yep. Like, I think there's a foot in there somewhere, a little bit of a leg, maybe some shoulder or something. Yeah. That doesn't seem like enough of a cross section for you to really get the scope of a bite.
1: Right. And there are some individual species
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you can, again, to some degree of reliability, determine the difference between, but it's not going to be perfect. Generally, they pair it with feeding behavior, where it's located, habitat preferences, what have you. But again, this study was done in two thousand nine and this movie's taking place in the seventies. Sure. sure. So, you know, to what degree is he gonna have any kind of basis for that other than I think it's these species da 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 da. Which both of those squalus well, not squallus <laughs> species he mentions are naturally found in that area, so at least you got that going in your favor, Hooper. Yeah.
0: Well, he ought to know the sharks that he studies in his area, since yeah. he's headquartered on you know mm-hmm. the Massachusetts mainland. Yeah, but I feel like this is more evidence that he he's trying to flex based on knowledge. Like he knows he's going to this little resort town, so he's like, ah, you rubes, you don't know anything about sharks. I'll tell you right. what's up. Okay. So after they determine it is in fact a shark attack and Hooper does his whole thing, they put out the bounty on the shark. Yeah. And I think this was just put in there for comedy. But as you have all these Cape Cod hicks getting in their little paddle boats to go out and kill (laughs) a shark, you see one guy wandering around with a few sticks of dynamite, thinking that he's going to go out there and ice the shark with a big kaboom. If we look past... The questionable nature of someone on Cape Cod just having a fairly decent <laughs> amount of nitroglycerin sticks. Is that anything? Would you would you hunt a shark with dynamite?
1: So we are going to rewind to Jersey 1916. Because the original, an answer to the your question is yes.
0: What? Yes.
1: Okay. So quick go at the Jersey Beach yeah. incident. It culturally really increased our fear of sharks which up until that point we didn't think that they were truly man-eaters like at the time there were a number of people who were like not convinced it was a shark they thought it was whatever other marine creature
0: Mm, a monster
1: yeah so four deaths in two weeks one bite that the guy survived and it's crazy because of these bites three of them happened in the same area like back-to-back succession. So it's like this kid went into Matawan Creek to play with his friends, attacked. Someone on shore saw it and he ran out trying to grab the kid, trying to retrieve his body. He gets attacked. And then 30 minutes later, about a half mile down the creek, this dude gets bit in the leg and survives. So it's kind of like, what the f***?
0: So when you say quick succession, you don't just mean same day. You mean...
1: Back to back to back. Really?
0: So they were all there and yeah. the shark was just taking chomps wherever you could get them.
1: Yeah. And so, you, you know, you get blood in the water. He bites the first guy. You know, uh, I don't want this. Spits it out. Oh, there's blood. I feel something else splashing. Let mm-hmm. me try that. At least that's my <laughs> my belief of the psyche of the shark, obviously. I don't f***ing know.
0: Well, it's kind of like the meme of that girl but, who's who's trying like yeah. kombucha or whatever. And she's, you know, real real <laughs> dramatic back and forth on whether this is something she's enjoying.
1: Um, So at this point, once multiple bites are happening, the locals do kind of go to the water in anger. And some of them bring dynamite,
0: which I believe in the (laughs) World War One era. I mean, to which
1: which degree it actually works. Who knows? But this is like historically a thing. The other thing I found out is that of the like, what is it, five attacks? There are two docks. So one of the guys who's swimming in the ocean has his Chesapeake Bay retriever with him Aww. and he starts like shouting and people don't you know don't know it's a shark attack mm-hmm. and they think oh he's just shouting at his dog and then all of a sudden ooh god this is right. bad and then the little kid who dies in the creek was there with his friends and one of his friends dog mm-hmm. so you know, that little detail that is like the most depressing part of the movie when the dog dies or we presume dies from yeah. the shark. There were dogs swimming around in this incident.
0: So they really did drop some some true yeah. historical facts. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you again about this Jersey Shore thing. Yeah. Or what is it? Jersey Beach?
1: Uh, I, I, it's on the Jersey Shore. The,
0: the original 1916 attacks. Yeah. They didn't believe it was sharks at first because it was so unprecedented. Mm -hmm. But you had three attacks within hours of each other and one guy survived. Mm -hmm. Could he not positively identify it as a shark? Or was he the one saying it was some kind of sea monster? I've never seen anything like it.
1: I'm not sure on the testimony there. I mean, this is 1916, over 100 years ago. I would believe it either way. I'm not sure. I know there were all these people who were debating on what it was. And like I said, there wasn't any kind of prior basis about sharks being man eaters. I don't know if there was specifically a bounty, but people went not only throwing dynamite, (laughs) but to catch sharks. So a blue shark, a sandbar shark and a young great white shark were caught. The Great White was caught a few days after July 12th, which is kind of considered the end. I think that was the last attack. Mm. It had ingested remains of human. And after it was caught, the attacks ended. So that's the process of elimination. It is suggestive, but there's still debate over what shark it was. Right. The International Shark Attack File lists it as a Great White Shark Attack and stands by it. But you got a lot of other people who are thinking it's a bull shark.
0: Right. Well, this is very much like the movie, too, because they catch a shark pretty quickly. Yeah. Pretty big shark. Yep. Brody and Hooper (laughs) skulk down there at night to open it up and they find a Florida license plate, Mm -hmm. hats off, uh, and a bunch of junk, but no indication that this thing has actually, within the last few days, Mm -hmm. attacked anyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are instances of opening sharks up to see what they've eaten for science or for things like this.
0: So the reason they're able to do that per the movie is sharks have a very slow digestion process. Yes. So if you open them up, you can actually get a pretty clean look at what they've swallowed.
1: They do have a slow metabolism. Yes. And, you know, metabolism is a complicated thing and it sometimes relates to body temperature and all that kind of stuff. And I believe it was measuring body temperature that they determine this in sharks but mm-hmm. I didn't really go down the weeds of in that because a lot of it is jargon that I just am not patient enough to study and understand. Yeah. But TLDR, they do have a slow metabolism. And one of the things I couldn't really find good data or explanation of is when you have a slow metabolism, how often do you need to
0: eat? That was going to be my and question. And so,
1: yeah. And and so it's kind of bonkers to me how this would be and it to a degree I think it backs up the whole Humans aren't prey, they bite, spit out, swim away mm-hmm. in most instances. Right. So it's just a matter of was the shark really hungry and was just kind of biting like crazy at people? Or was it this vengeful monster like the movie makes it out to be? Well, they,
0: they do and they don't. They kind of waffle on that. <laughs> but is is that not typical of predators, though? Like I think of bears in particular. Mm-hmm. Like you want to kind of gorge when you have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But most of the time they're not eating. They're mm-hmm. in between meals. Yeah. The other side of this, you you did mention territoriality before. Yeah. Which seems to contradict the idea that they're wandering the ocean in a semi-migratory way. How realistic is it that there's more than one shark?
1: Uh, they will kind of hang out with each other in similar areas.
0: Because the, the way the movie describes it makes them sound more like wolves, mm-hmm. where they really stake out a territory and then that's... That's where they spend their time and they'll eat everything until it's empty and then they'll move on.
1: I mean, that's very characteristic of orca. Really? Yeah. I mean, orcas are in these complex family systems and they are, I believe one of their nicknames is the wolves of the sea.
0: That is fascinating. So they're presenting it like uh, the shark is the wolf of the sea, when in reality, the killer whale is what more aggressive, more coordinated in their group attacks.
1: Yes. Oh yeah, totally. Sharks are, tend to just kind of congregate together and they frequently at least so a study tracked great whites near a pinniped colony for what's about pinnipeds? two weeks
0: what's pinnipeds
1: seals and sea lions
0: okay yeah. good good munches okay
1: mm-hmm. they're tasty and basically there were some individuals hanging out and it was a couple of different pinnipeds that they were looking at mm-hmm. so not just one species and so they had a few sharks hanging out and mm-hmm. Individuals would kind of go off on their own independently to Mm -hmm. look for prey. So they didn't hunt together like wolves. They were just kind of around. And so basically at some point when one was able to catch a large enough prey item, a number of them would kind of just like swim nearby and take advantage of that. Like, you know, a form of scavenging.
0: Yeah. But you you see this with all kinds of quadruped predators, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've seen enough Discovery Channel to know yeah. someone, someone makes the kill and they eat in a certain amount and the hyenas are kind of waiting for their turn or whatever. And then the yeah. buzzards can clean up the rest. Yeah. So when they're looking at this interactive behavior, it doesn't sound like they're seeing complex social systems. Are they tolerating each other? Like, will they nip at each other if they feel like shark number two is taken more than its share of the prey? Is there any of that?
1: I'm not sure. It sounds like they can be some form of territorial bite as a warning sign, but I'm not mm. sure to what degree that's with other great whites, other species of shark, mind you. It's really hard to study a lot of oceanic creatures, right. so a lot it of it's tagging boat observations. You know, trying to put a camera underwater that's going to withstand how quickly the light dims underwater. Right. And great whites, you can't really keep them in captivity. Like it's, I mean, it's torturous to keep a lot of of animals in captivity depending on species and how you do it but great whites just don't make it except for a short period of time
0: well to your point they they can be Mm semi-territorial but they have these weird migratory paths yeah is it the same path is it like whales or salmon where they're taking a route or do they just like to keep moving
1: i believe it's kind of a route there was a, an instance of a shark that traveled 12,000 miles in less than nine months. Wow. We don't know why. <laughs> Seasonal feeding, mating, temperature, what have Whatever. you. Whatever. Yeah, it's kind of kind of bonkers.
0: So the, I guess the, the real sum of all this is with all the technology and development of knowledge and knowledge sharing around the world, we're 100 years since the Jersey Beach incident, and we still don't really know – the the motives are what really normal behavior for sharks is.
1: Yeah. We're I mean, they're finding new information all the time, but it's kind of like anything with animal behavior. You find something suggestive of this is the answer to our question, but then it pops up ten more questions. And then you get other scientists who are like, mm, you sure about that? And do their own study and argue their results are like, aha, I have I have contradicted your information. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like scientists do.
0: Oh, yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask. As we get to the climax, Hooper goes down in his little shark-proof mm-hmm. steel cage. And he's got, you know, his his little javelin with poison. I think it was strychnine. It was
1: 20 cc's of strychnine. 20
0: cc's of rat poison. <laughs> uh, let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say that would work if he'd managed to hang on to it. Which, you know, he drops it on the first side of classic. Bruce. But then Bruce rams the thing. So I have two questions about this. One, he fully bends open the shark-proof steel cage by ramming it Uh such that Hooper can swim out and hide in a cave until all the action's over. Yeah. If I remember my upbringing right, where we were learning about earthquakes and quicksand and volcanoes, (laughs) how to (laughs) survive- All the things
1: that were guaranteed to kill us. The
0: primary threats of someone in elementary school. To fight off a shark who's attacking you, you're supposed to go for the eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, gouge the eyes if you can reach him Mm -hmm. or punch it in the nose. Yes. Because I think the nose is supposed to be sensitive. Mm -hmm. So if a great white rams a steel cage with its nose Mm -hmm. and bends the bars open wide enough to reach in, isn't he kind of already having a bad day?
1: Yeah, pretty much. So regarding ramming the cage, some of the stuff, not a ton, but some of the stuff I found, there was a Mythbusters episode Mm. where they're doing their thing of like, Okay, here's the information we have about force. Let's ram this souped-up car of the same force <laughs> into a shark cage.
0: Right, right, right. Um,
1: so one of the things they found is that as far as what they can tell, which grain of salt with Myth Mythbusters. They're doing the best they can. But they saw that the Great Whites don't really have enough force to truly destroy a cage like that.
0: So that's just pure Hollywood right there. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, pure scare factor of Nothing's safe. And especially, <laughs> you know, you got pieces of shit Quint over here who's like a cage, her is yeah. not keeping you which
0: he just knows better than everybody you know, and then he ends up getting bitten half. I'm always
1: butthurt that he's right with some of these things, but what was he, he right died, about that the cage isn't gonna keep him safe.
0: But it would have. He was right. But in the context of
1: the movie, he was wrong.
0: Yeah, the hyperfiction.
1: Exactly. So that's all that matters is that he was right in the movie. universe.
0: So would a shark ram to attack? Even if we overlook that he's ramming a steel cage and wouldn't be able to break through it, would they even ram or they swim fast and bite?
1: They would swim fast and bite because so they're electroreception where they can sense electrical fields which is you know a pretty cool thing with sharks how they do that is these really this series of pores on their snoot that are filled with these really special cells called the i'm gonna also mispronounce this ampullae of lorenzini which just makes me one word um no it's three words (laughs) okay Am- um,
0: Ampulae of what? ZD? Lorenzini. Lorenzini. I just said Zini. it made me
1: think of Ziti. Yeah. Baked ZD sounds really good. We're going to have to good. go
0: out for Italian tonight. Mm-hmm.
1: And so those cells feel uh, electrical currents, like the power, the direction, that kind of thing. So basically they can follow this weird quote unquote map of these electrical fields and magnetic fields that crisscross the Earth.
0: So is that kind of like radar? Um, Only with radar, electrical fields instead of like ra- sound?
1: So radar is emitting a signal and having it bounce
0: back. Right.
1: So there there's is detection. So
0: they're, they're just not. absorbing yes. whatever electrical signals mm-hmm. are out there. Yes. So, so is with, the, is our guy at the beginning maybe onto something with the dynamite? If Well, I guess dynamite's not giving off electricity, is it?
1: It's not, but sharks are also really sensitive to sensing vibrations in the water. Right. Okay. So an explosion of dynamite is going to be real freaky and they're going to be like, oh, that's not a human. So if, but... if he chucked
0: a few sticks off the beach where the attacks were, would yeah. that maybe have scared the shark off? And probably just looking for somewhere else to hunt.
1: Probably at least momentarily. At they're least still, they're still really attracted to the motions of people swimming because it mimics fish. So if you have all these tourists that are just flocking into the water, right. even if there was dynamite the day before, if the shark's still staying in that vicinity, especially if it's feeling territorial for a period mm. of time, it's going to be like, well, last night sucked, but hey, <laughs> meals today.
0: So is that visual acuity? The shark is hunting by sight because they're splashing?
1: They can hunt by sight. They do sense the vibrations in the water and (laughs) they do have that acute sense of smell of Blood in the water type of thing. Is that
0: actually true? Mm -hmm. It's accurate to call that a sense of smell?
1: Yeah. It's kind of, it confuses my mind to a degree because when you have molecules in water, they dissolve in the water. Right. And so I'm not really well versed in how smell works in water, but basically they have these specialized skin folds in their, you know, their nasal cavities that do pick up scents. And it's Hmm. at least strong enough to detect a tiny bit of blood in a ton of water.
0: Well, I would say that's not that different from how scent works in the air, right? You've, you've got something, the molecules are dissolving into the air. mm
1: -mm. They don't, they don't truly dissolve in the air. They more like kind of float around.
0: So they, they dissipate, but they don't Mm -hmm. actually dissolve. That's
1: my understanding of it. Hmm. So yeah, their their vision's pretty decent as well. I mean, obviously, it has its limitations, especially in low light. They do have the different eye cells and components and things like that, like a, a lot of other species do, including us, that do light versus low light conditions. I don't know the full inner workings of their eyes, so I don't know if their mechanisms for that difference in vision truly mimics a mammals. But they do use vision, and there is the whole, like... Can they tell the difference between a seal and a person? Like there's the whole, oh, from the bottom, a surfer looks like a seal. Uh, And there's
0: just bioelectricity going off that they're registering in their snoot, right?
1: That's, yeah, exactly. So in 2021, (laughs) a study found that neither like visual or shape cues really tell the great white that there's a difference between humans and pinnipeds so even though they have this pretty decent eyesight above and below water Mm -hmm. it's not quite their primary sense for hunting as far as what i can tell like so would you say
0: that their vision depends on movement
1: in a sense I mean, I don't know if I would relate vision because vision is bringing light into the eye and Mm -hmm. deciphering an image, whereas hearing and vibration detection is just entirely different. I mean, I think they play with each other, but I think using the word at least I personally see using the word see along with something like. Motion detection is just kind of, I don't know, revs me the wrong way. I think it's not the best description. <laughs> I
0: mean, they they famously offer that in Jurassic Park, which oh, is totally. also a, a Spielberg film. So I was just yes. wondering if that's... Well,
1: I mean, you do in us, we have rods and cones. Cones are important for acuity and color vision. So for us right now, I can see your face in sharpness. I can see the colors of the tapestry behind you. Right. That's your cones doing their thing. Rods are more active in low light and because low light conditions don't really give you great acuity, they detect motion more. So you can see motion, but there's also this shark sense of feeling motion. Right. So,
0: But being a fish, probably color and clarity aren't as important as rods giving you the ability to catch motion, especially if you're looking for something splashing at the surface.
1: um, So you think of a an animal that's going to need acuity to hunt as having a lot of cones. Like a raptor. Exactly. A falcon. Yeah, Yeah, totally. A lot of raptors, falcons, that kind of thing. Whereas when there's more rods, rods are dealing with low light conditions and movement. Mm -hmm. And so when you think of like a prey animal that's needing to detect a quick movement of a predator coming to get it.
0: Like a mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Mouse isn't going to look at, a gray blob or a black blob and go, that seems like a cat because of its shape. Mm-hmm. It's going to see the movement yeah. and be startled and do whatever yep. mice do.
1: And you're going to get a lot of nocturnal animals relying more on rods than cones.
0: Owls? Mm-hmm. hmm
1: You got it. And one of the things that sticks with me is one of my sensory system professors in undergrad always mm-hmm. said that the most dangerous time for us to be walking around is dusk and dawn, and the reason be- for that is that we're—it's an awkward low light condition timeframe where. Right. Your cones are starting to not be as activated because the light's going down, but it's not dark enough that your rods are really at their highest performance. And so you're in this weird in-between stage of la la la. And, th- <laughs> and you're more likely to have like, you know, something happen like being hit by a car. Sure. And he emphasized, if I see any of you just wandering down the highway during dusk and dawn, one, you're not listening to me. <laughs> and two, I am absolutely picking you up and telling you how much you're not listening to me. Well, that's friendly. Oh, he was the best. Good professor. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. So it all happens a little fast at the end. But in the climax, when it's it's all down to uh, Brody, you know, he's on his own. Mr. Holland got knocked out of his cage and he's skulking around in an eel cave. <laughs> Quint got bit in half. And the Orca, let's not forget their ship.
1: Which is... The major predator outside of people, but people suck and are predators to f***ing everything. Orcas are the only natural predator of great white sharks,
0: which I thought is why exactly Shark why. Hunter Quint named his oh, boat the Orca. One
1: hundred percent. Have you seen the videos of orcas grabbing sharks and just flipping them through the air? Oh
0: hell yeah! Oh my god!
1: <laughs> so if you're afraid of any ocean creature, it should be orcas because look at them targeting boats right now and learning from each other. They learn from each other.
0: But and they're dolphins. They look like pandas in the ocean. They're black and white and cute.
1: Oh, my God. Shut up. We will be getting to Free Willy at some point, y'all.
0: I'm sure we will. Anywho, When the orca is failing to live up to its namesake, <laughs> our buddy Brody, you know, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this movie. Oh, yeah. He remembers the explosive O2 tanks. <laughs> and Bruce, it's a little weird because it's the puppet that we all know was like kind of janky and they couldn't get it to work. No, he's beautiful. Brody kind of pushes the O2 tank at Uh him, but it seemed like he also, Bruce, reached for it and bit it. Mm -hmm. Is he falling for that?
1: I mean, sharks are just kind of biting machines. That's the main way that they inspect their environment without their, along with their sensory systems, they come up to something and it's like, what is? And they bite it. So, so that's so like
0: the close look. They'll, they'll like, see splashing with like, their vision. Yeah. They'll get some amount of sound. They'll get electrical impulses to say yeah. like, is this organic or not? Is this edible? When they get close, they're going to start using their teeth. Yes. And that's how they really figure out. Yeah. Is this food?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's how you get sharks taking bites out of buoys and surfboards and eating trash. Is just <laughs> They have no other way to figure, you know, they can get all this sensory information, but- you know, your your senses can get all wired and you're just like, is this what I think it is? You and know. he's in
0: the heat of the moment. We'll give him the benefit of the oh, doubt. Oh, totally. Now, he kind of... The orca is listing, right? It's, it's going down in the back. Yeah. So Bruce army crawls <laughs> up to <laughs> bite absurd. the O2 tank and then kind of swims backwards
1: uh-huh. to
0: retreat from the sinking orca. Yeah. And doesn't spit out the O2 tank. Yeah. Can they regurgitate? Can shark spit? Like, I don't it,
1: know if regurgitate's the right thing, but if, if they grab, like, Chrissy, our opening girl, mm-hmm. R.I.P., if he can grab her and then drop it, I wouldn't call that regurgitating. I would just say grab and drop.
0: Well, with, with Chrissy, he's biting her and then releasing her from his jaws. Mm-hmm. But Brody can helps push... Jaws. Yeah, Brody pushes this O2 tank and it gets past the the tooth, the yeah. the actual jaws, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, he's sitting there tonguing it like a little popsicle, <laughs> swims backwards, which apparently they can't actually do. Well,
1: they can kind of do for a very short duration of time and they rely on their tail for that. So with his back half being in the water, like, eh, I'll let that slide. Give it a
0: pass. Yeah. Okay. Would he really not have spat out the O2 tank? I don't know that's mm.
1: something when you mentioned O2 tank I thought you are going in a different direction because Mythbusters <laughs> so they were scuba tanks right? right. they weren't like right. these they're yeah. Hooper's gear yeah if you shoot a scuba tank it doesn't explode
0: we'll, we'll give them a which I think we that.
1: can like all appreciate that it's not gonna do the theatrical Michael Bay explosion but no like, explosions
0: in movies are yeah. what real explosions look yep.
1: like our great scientists in their peer reviewed journal showed that it won't explode when you shoot it
0: That's evidence enough
1: for me, y'all.
0: All All right. So we we had a lot of good historical facts. We had a little bit of fast and looseness with actual shark behavior. We kind of blurred the lines on making the shark maybe more of a serial killer, maybe more of a sea wolf Mm -hmm. than a normal great white. What would be your final verdict on is Jaws representing sharks realistically?
1: I think that Jaws is pretty decent for their representation. I mean, they hyperbolize. They make it Hollywood. I mean, it sucks that they further perpetuated our fear of sharks that persist to this day. I think... I don't know. I love sharks, so it's hard for me to not think that other people or a greater proportion of the public appreciate sharks for what they actually are. Mm -hmm. And that's the case for a lot of animals is that people are afraid of animals and that's a natural kind of behavior but on the opposite end of the spectrum you get people being like animals are us <laughs> and both <laughs> anthropomorphization of them, yeah and yeah. both of them in their own respects aren't appreciating an animal for what it is and <laughs> so fair. you know it's one-dimensional that's what it's gonna be but I think it's It's a classic horror movie. It is fantastic and it is better than the other that's out there. I am excited to watch more shark movies with you (laughs) to see how the modern day deals with it.
0: So in sum, they're at the extremes of plausible behavior. Yeah. Which is true of most movies because we're trying to show something dramatic and exciting and exotic. Yeah. Plausible, maybe exaggerated, maybe too many extremes at once. Yeah. But ultimately kind of what sharks are like.
1: Yeah, and especially knowing it, it drew some of the narrative from an actual life event right. that happened, you know, you have to kind of give it some credit there. And grabbing Another extreme Yeah, event, and grabbing a couple of details and
0: transposing the time and place and Yeah.
1: Absolutely. creating character drama. Yeah.
0: So, in spite of its accuracy, when that's the only exposure to sharks that you have, This extreme event becomes your baseline for normal. Mm -hmm. And then you have a massive phobia sweeping the world of sharks. Yes. Yeah. Are they really responsible for that? I don't know. Did Alfred Hitchcock misrepresent being in a shower in a hotel? (laughs) Is that really going to happen to you?
1: Right. I mean, statistically, you're not going to really have a chance of being bit by a shark. So, how many Katie
0: points do you give it? Katie points? Katie points.
1: Uh, as far as, like, accuracy and it being a...
0: Everything. What do can, you? How do you rate the movie?
1: Can I... Uh,
0: All things considered.
1: Can I do it in, like, dog breeds?
0: Dog Cause, breeds? Because
1: I think doing a scale of 1 to 10 is, like, I don't know. I have a hard time with litmus scales. And just, like, it's kind of a 5, but also a little I, bit of a 7. It's
0: Katie Points. It's whatever you want it to be.
1: Katie Points puts it at a solid Labrador Retriever. Hmm. It's a classic. Sometimes it fucks up. I don't know. An aggressive lab is kind of like, Ugh. Yeah. Why are you like this? Yeah. You're not what you're supposed to be. You are a misrepresentation. Hmm. But very classic, easy to appreciate. Many people like it for whatever reason. And right. it's a basis upon which a lot of other things are built. Oh, uh, yeah. Not great things. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Labradoodle, you f***ing <laughs> hot mess. But it's kind of a baseline for a family pet.
0: That's right. All so, right. So, yeah. Jaws. Classic Jaws. film, Labrador Retriever.
1: Yes. Norm, what do you think we can learn from sharks from this movie? Or at least not just from the movie, but from some of the facts I'm spitting at you.
0: So here's what I took away. Quint has a vendetta against sharks because he was on the USS Indianapolis, which, you know, got torpedoed and his crew got stranded in the ocean for several days because they were transporting the bomb to Japan, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So Quint, in effect powered the first wartime nuclear strike on a populated area and as a result nature struck back Mm -hmm. just like godzilla to try to level the playing field so the lesson that i took away from this is morality has no place in nature nature Mm -hmm. is a powerful force that cannot be underestimated and must be respected yeah that's that's what i get from jaws
1: totally i I would agree about respecting nature and letting letting things be what they are. And one more thing, if I can plug in my little conservation tidbit.
0: Let's do it. Here we go.
1: shark fin soup. shark fin soup. You know what I'm talking about?
0: I know exactly what you're talking oh, about, but you. for those who aren't familiar.
1: For those who aren't familiar, it's this, what is it, this Asian... Is it an aphrodisiac or is it just like a taste thing?
0: (laughs) I believe it's one of those things that's a delicacy, which is really just an international code for not really good, (laughs) but exotic. And it gives you bragging rights if you've tried it. So if you're a rich Westerner, you've had caviar. Gross, but that means you're rich, right? Historically. (laughs) Foie gras. So, you know, rhino horns and stuff are being powdered and sold more as kind of like a, a supplement alternative mm. medicine in china gotcha i reckon shark fin soup is soup it is soup and yes. i think it's it's more kind of you know quentin hooper dick measuring stuff to say that you've had shark fin oh, soup jesus christ than anything else yeah. but then again i've never had it i'm no expert please
1: don't have it please I, don't support I the industry so basically sh- the way you get the shark fin for soup is you catch a shark you cut off its fins and then you check it back in the water for it to die an agonizing death.
0: Just kind of sink to the bottom of the ocean like Bruce did after he got his head oh, yeah. exploded it's, it's by the oxygen. Oh yeah, it's
1: awful, and it is decreasing shark populations. It's barbaric, it's just the absolute worst. These are beautiful creatures, why don't we stop, why don't we make soup out of normal things?
0: The retributive action to take would be, go find some rich person, amputate his arms and legs at the knee and elbows, and uh make stew. Eat the rich. Eat the rich!